pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen.
yourself in this place, oh God. Make a way for those who need a way this morning. God, touch and heal a body this morning. God, drive sickness and disease from somebody in this place this morning. Heal them in the name of Jesus. God, bring that answer. Somebody's looking for an answer this morning, Lord. Yes. God, we know you have the answer. Yes, you do. God, you have the answer yes, for everything do. that we need an answer Thank for. Lord. So manifest yourself yes. in this place this morning, Lord. Thank have you your Lord. way in here. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we're calling home the wayward ones this morning. Yes. God, we're calling Thank home you, the prodigals this yes. morning. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Everyone, God, that belongs in the yes. church, whether it's this church or not, and they left for some reason, yes. Lord, we call yes. them home yes. this morning. Hallelujah. Go back to yes. your church. Come back to our church. Go back to the place where you left God. Hallelujah. Call you home this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Lord Abraham sent his servant to find a bride for Isaac. God, you sent Jesus to find a bride for his church. God, we just ask that the Holy Ghost go forth right now. Ministering spirits go forth right now. Angels go forth right now. And Lord, we ask that you find those prodigals, you find those wayward ones, Lord, the, the lost sheep, and you woo them back home, Lord. They're part of the bride of Christ that the Holy Ghost is searching for this morning. Fetch them back, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. We thank you. We praise you for it, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. God is in this place. Yes, he is. Make a demand on him this morning. Yes. Just reach up with a hand of faith. Tell him what you need. Yes. Pull it down. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Judah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. I love all those songs you sing this morning. I usually have a favorite, but I can't pick this morning. Hallelujah. Children, you're dismissed. Youth is dismissed. Youth, you're dismissed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Everything working all right, Brother Darrell? Good. I don't know if you've seen my Wednesday broadcast, but boy, I'll tell you what, I had a hard time. But I didn't give up. I was sideways and upside down, and then I got cut off, and I said, well, I'm going to do it again. Finally, I got on there halfway straight anyway. So sometimes that's what you got to do, you know. You got to push through. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. I want to look at the 11th verse this morning and then talk about it for a little while. I'll give you a couple examples. You know, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I preach a lot about the words that come out of our mouth and our confession and our profession and the things that we say. And uh, You might be wondering, why does he preach so much about that? Because that's the greatest need in the body of Christ today. Amen. If there's any one thing in particular that gets you in trouble and keeps you in trouble, it's this little thing right in your mouth called the tongue. And so, uh, and you know, Jesus had much to say about it. The apostles, especially 
the Apostle Paul had much to say about it, so it's an important subject. Look at Revelation 12, 11. I'm going to read in the King James and then in the New International. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. What that means is they maintained their testimony and their love for God right up to martyrdom. And then in the New International Version, it says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You know, we're not to be afraid of death. Amen? And... Uh, if we really knew what's beyond and we had a revelation of what's beyond life in this body, we would not fear death. If you have a fear of death, then you have to uh, get in the word, get on your knees, spend some time in the presence of God until that fear leaves. Amen? Because a Christian has no fear in death. Paul said, absent from the body is present with the Lord. So, you know, it's just moving day for somebody that passes away, somebody that dies. It's moving day. They just move from one realm to another. They don't cease to exist. This body goes to the grave, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But our spirit goes to the father of all spirits. Our spirit goes to the one who gave it and our soul. So when we get to heaven, we'll have all our faculties and we'll know Jesus and he'll know us and we'll know the ones that went on before us and you know uh, the way I try to describe it when I do a funeral is like uh, as though you had a, a loved one move to Florida or California you know they're not in your presence you don't get to enjoy them in the flesh and, and have them in the same room with you but you know where they are they're safe and they're sound amen yeah. and, and so it's the same thing moving to heaven it's just a a little further location but it's moving nonetheless we know where they are and we know that we're going to see them again amen hallelujah. hallelujah I don't know who that was for but it's for somebody but uh, John the revelator he's not talking about the blood of a lamb he's talking about the blood of the lamb uh, John said behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, this wasn't just your everyday sacrifice of an animal. Uh, even though that animal is fit for sacrifice, even though that blood was acceptable to God to atone for our sins for a time or to forgive us for a trespass for a time, this is the blood of the Lamb, the blood that has forgiven us from past to present to future sins. Yeah. Total forgiveness total total uh, redemption and and we never have to sacrifice another animal uh, but they main their maintained their testimony of the gospel that Jesus was Lord and they refused to bow their knee to a pagan deity or the Antichrist or the beast or any other uh, uh, false god or king in the book of Revelation and of course, this is talking about the tribulation saints, but we're the same saints, amen? amen? God's children are God's children, whether they're past, present, or future, and what works for them works for us. Amen. This was Satan's attempt to destroy the church. 
That's what he's always wanted to do ever since he realized his mistake of crucifying Jesus because it says that if he had known, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. He thought he had victory by crucifying Jesus, but it turned out to be his defeat. He just bruised Jesus' heel, but Jesus bruised his head, and it was a fatal blow to the devil's head. Jesus recovered from a bruised heel, but the devil will never recover from that bruised head. But he's trying to destroy this church, but the saints had the word of God to which they could bear witness to. Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So they knew that he's building a church that cannot be defeated. He's building a victorious church that is going to be an overcoming church and it will never be destroyed. Hallelujah. So the Christian victory is victory that is dependent on God and obedience to his word. If you want to have victory in every area of your life, learn to depend on God and learn to trust his word. Amen? And, and, and when we keep his commandments, and we only have one, that's that we walk in love. That's our only commandment. All the Old Testament law, all the Ten Commandments and all of that is all put into this one law, this one commandment, and that is to walk in love. I don't have to worry about all those other commandments and laws and do's and don'ts because as long as I walk in love, I'm safe. Hallelujah. I'm obeying God's commandment. And this in itself is a great reward. And it's in our faith confession and our testimony that the victory comes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who did they, the saints, overcome with the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony? Well, the previous verses uh, identify uh, Satan, the devil, that old dragon, uh, the accuser of the brethren. And uh, so this is who they overcame. But they did it uh, as he was coming through these pagans that were persecuting the, the church and persecuting the saints. And I mean real persecution. Persecution like we haven't experienced in this country, but it's going on in other parts of the world where Christians are actually losing their lives over their testimony. Amen? Amen. This is the type of persecution they were faced with. They were trying to get them to deny Jesus Christ, to call him a curse, so that they could take them to hell with them. And these Christians held on to their testimony and kept declaring the blood of Jesus and they went even to their death, but never give up on Jesus. Never bowed their knee to a pagan God. Hallelujah. So the tremendous power in the blood of Jesus is activated uh, by adding your faith-filled confessions and your testimony. Your confession, testimony, and declaration of the blood of Jesus will put the devil on the run. I was listening to this one minister preaching on, on prayer, and he was saying he got to the place where, you know, he was always going around saying, I command you in the name of Jesus. Uh, you do this in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. And then he said he got so confident in the name that he got to the place where he was telling the devil, you want me to mention that name? You want me to mention that name? <laughs> he said the devil would flee just because he threatened to mention that name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
And in other words, we have access, and we taught on this, into the very presence of God because of the power of the blood. But like I said, we don't go in with our mouth closed. We go in confessing something. We go in confessing our faith in the blood of Jesus. And we enter in confessing our faith, not only in the blood of Jesus, but the fact that God said we can have full access. He said, come boldly before the throne of grace. And so we go in confessing, God, you told us to come boldly before your throne. You told us to come bearing the blood. And we don't have to physically carry that blood in from an animal or a sacrifice. We go in because we're covered with the blood of Jesus. God recognizes that blood. And when he sees the blood, he don't see anything else about us. He just sees the blood. He don't see our past sins. He don't see the sins that we're in now. He don't see our unrighteousness or our unworthiness. He sees us as his son. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. And that's how he receives us and accepts us. So if you don't have, if you have a reason for not getting into the presence of God, it's a lie from the devil. And it's time for the blinders to be lifted so that you recognize who you are in Christ and that you have authority in the blood and you can go boldly into the presence of God. Your confession can bring God down here to help you down here. Amen. So uh, that's why we can't keep our mouths shut. That's why we always have to have the word of God coming out of our mouth. It gives us access to God, and it gives him access to us. Hallelujah. And we do that by agreeing and confessing his word. The blood of a lamb in, in our confession is an overcoming force that the enemy just cannot contend with. And, you know, uh, I prayed Wednesday night, and I said that I might have been sitting in my office at 1219 Lakeside Drive, but my spirit was in the throne room in the presence of God. I entered into there boldly making my request. Yep. And it's the same thing with the blood. We don't talk about the blood enough. People don't like to talk about blood because it's icky, it's messy. But I'm telling you, everything is based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. This whole covenant, this whole, this whole church uh, of Jesus Christ is all based upon the blood. And I was talking to a couple guys the other day, construction workers, and uh, we got to talking about the Lord, and they were talking about baptism, and you had to be baptized, and this and that. I said, no, it's the blood plus nothing. Baptism is fine. You identify with Christ through baptism, but that's the work of a man. God doesn't place something as important as salvation into the hands of a man. It's the blood plus nothing. As long as you accept the blood and you're born again, you're going to heaven whether you ever got your head dipped in water or, or not. It doesn't make any difference. I'm not against baptism. I've been baptized three or four times. We baptize in this church, but you have to understand a, a work that I can do doesn't help you get to heaven or send you to hell. That's all up to you, and it's all up to the acceptance of the blood. Hallelujah. But, you know, we uh, should be accustomed to confessing the power of the blood of Jesus. And, and just like in the spirit, I went into the throne room. When I plead the blood of Jesus on my family or on myself or on a situation of some kind, I actually see that blood being uh, pleaded out, being sprinkled out. Uh, we pray that a blood curtain be on the door 
so that anybody passes through will be cleansed by the blood. Uh, I know it's cliche and it sounds kind of weird and stuff, but I picture that curtain on the door. It's a never-ending flow. Yes. There's always room under that blood. Amen? And it don't take a whole lot of blood. Gee, I mean, uh, one drop of Jesus' blood could save the universe. But he shed it all for us. Hallelujah. He gave it all up. Uh, the blood of Jesus, when we mix it with a faith-filled confession, always overcomes the enemy. Always gives us the victory. Mark, Mark Hankins says, mixing faith with the blood of Jesus is like missing, mixing nitro and glycerin. He said there's always an explosion of power when you make that combination. So confess that you are who the word says you are. Confess that you can be what the word says you can be. Confess that you can do what the word says that you can do. Find some scriptures and begin to meditate on them that tell you who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you and the authority that you have over the enemy and the authority that you have over your flesh and your life and meditate on them scriptures until they become alive to you on the inside, until they become a revelation. You know, uh, testify that it's through his power. You know, I, I, I've been believing God for healing and I kind of alluded to it this morning. You know, uh, a lot of times I, I caught myself saying, Let's, you know, prove yourself to these doctors, Lord. Show them who's God and, and that, you know. And, and, and it's like God spoke to me and said that I don't prove myself to anybody. I don't have to prove myself to anybody. He says, I heal you because I love you. Amen. Amen. And so he does everything by love. And, you know, I want to gloat a little bit. I want to say, you see, I told you, my God healed me, hallelujah, to the doctors, you know. But I, I don't want to use it. I don't want that to be my testimony, you know, just to show those doctors who the boss is. Thank God for the doctors. Thank God for the medication and the chemotherapy and all the natural uh, scientific medications that they have. Thank God for them. They do help. Amen. And, and like I said, we don't have anything against them, but I'm putting all my trust in Jesus. I trust the doctor. I wouldn't do what he said. I wouldn't be going to see him, you know. Amen. I have to have faith in the doctor that he's helping me or yeah. I, I'm just wasting my time going there. But my trust is in Jesus, yes. the great physician, the healer. Hallelujah. But we overcome by the blood of the Lamb through our identity with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism does. It helps us to identify with Christ. We're just identifying with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. We're dying with him. We're being buried in the watery grave, and we're rising with him. Amen. And so I'm just telling the world, this is what I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he was raised, I was raised. Hallelujah. When he was victorious, I'm victorious. Why? I'm in. He's in me. Identification. We identify with one another. Colossians 2.12 through 15. He says, we're buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
We're identifying with him in his death and resurrection. Verse 13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, you didn't have a covenant, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Why? Because of the blood. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, the do's and don'ts, the do's we did when we shouldn't have, and the didn'ts we did when we should have, and all the things, all our past, every sin we've ever had, every trespass that we've ever made against the Lord or anybody else, he said that he's wiping them all out, hallelujah. And in verse 15, and this is what I love, now he's talking to us about us identifying with him in baptism, in other words, when he died, we died. He was buried, we were buried. He was raised, we were raised. We're identifying with him. And then in verse 15, it says, And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Taking what? All our trespasses and sins. All our diseases and sicknesses. He says, uh, he nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. Talking about evil forces. The devil and his cohorts. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, when kings went to war and, and they defeated the enemy and they routed their villages and they spoiled their villages and they got all their treasures and all their cattle and all of their possessions and all their children for slaves and the ones that didn't kill become slaves, they would come back to their hometown and they would parade them through the streets to declare their victory and their triumph over that enemy. And that's what it's saying. Paul is saying that that's what Christ did to the devil and his cohorts down in the bowels of hell. He paraded them through the streets, showing his victory over them. I love what the Amplified says in the Colossians 2.15. God disarmed the principalities and powers. He stripped the devil of all his power and authority that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, the cross. The Message Bible says he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. <laughs> Hallelujah. When Christ rose on that third day down in the bowels of hell, he rose up spiritually. He was spiritually dead. When he rose up, the Holy Ghost come down into the bowels of hell, and he went through the, the, the bowels of hell like a flash of light, went to the tomb that Jesus was laying in where they had him on a slab, and they're celebrating and dancing around him because they thought they had victory, victory over him at the cross, and the Holy Ghost raised him from the dead. Yes. And he stood up, and he went right up to the devil, and he says, uh, is that the keys to death and hell? Thank you. Is that the, the keys to the grave? Thank you. Is that the keys to your power and authority? Thank you. He stripped him. Took all his power and authority away from him. Triumphant, uh, triumphant over him in it. And then marched him and his cohorts through the underworld of hell and displayed him in front of every demon and, and fallen angel that ever existed. Hallelujah. That was all free. The point I wanted to make is the fact that if we identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection, 
in the in verses 13 and 14 then we certainly identify with him in his victory in verse 15. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His victory is our victory. Yes. We just need to walk in it. Amen. His victory is our victory because he did it as our substitute. He did it in our place. Yes. When he was victorious over the devil and death, hell, and the grave, we were victorious over the devil, death, hell, and the grave. Remember the three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego. They were threatened to be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace that was seven times hotter than it normally would be for the average guy that gets thrown in. And they were going to be thrown into the furnace because they wouldn't bow their knee, just like in the book of Revelation, Revelation 12 and 11, they wouldn't bow their knee to the pagan deity that was telling them, you bow before me. And they're telling them, no, we don't bow before you. We only bow before God, hallelujah, the one true God. Now, they didn't have the blood of the lamb yet, but they had a type of it. They had a blood covenant with God. And they had the right confession when they were challenged by the pagan king to bow down. He said, listen, I like you guys a lot, he says. And, uh, but I, I made a decree that when the music sign, sounds, everybody faces the image my, of my statue, the golden image of myself, and bows down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we ain't doing it. We ain't bowing down to your statue. Well, I'm going to give you one more chance. Don't bother. We ain't bowing down. And then they said, but, well, first thing he says is, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar uh, asked them why they wouldn't bow, they said, first of all, we don't even owe you an answer. King James says, we're, uh, we're not careful to answer you. But he's saying that we don't owe you an answer. We don't owe you an explanation. And we don't have to defend ourselves. Why? Because God was their defense. Yes. But they said this, if you do throw us in the furnace, now here comes their confession and their testimony. Our God, whom we serve, is well able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And, and then he says, but if you don't throw us in there, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will still not serve thy gods and we will still not bend our knee or worship the golden image of yourself. Man, that made the old king mad. He got so mad, the Bible says his countenance changed, his visage changed. He kind of got a twisted-looking face. He was so mad. So he had, he had the boys thrown in the furnace, and it was so hot that the flames come out and kill those guys that threw them in the furnace. That's how hot the flames was. You didn't even have to go in the furnace to die. You could have died on the, on the outside of it. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fall down in the furnace because they're bound hand and foot. Their hands are tied, their feet are tied. So when they got thrown in the furnace, they just fell over in the bottom of the furnace. And normally that would have been the end of them. They would have never seen them again. Just they just be ashes in a little while. Crispy critters. But when the king 
happened to look in the furnace. I don't know what made him look in there. He didn't. He couldn't have expected to see anything, but somewhere, for some reason, he looks in the furnace, and he saw the three men walking around in the fire. And he couldn't believe his eyes, but when he looked closer, he seen the fourth man in the fire. We know who that fourth man was, right? Amen. Even the king recognized him and said, he looks like unto the Son of God. Now, I don't know how he knew he was the Son of God or looked like the Son of God. I don't think he ever saw the Son of God. But I'm telling you, that image was probably brighter than the furnace itself and the fire in the furnace itself. So then Nebuchadnezzar call, calls out to them, and he says, Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what it was like, because I know his attitude changed a whole lot. He says, You servants of the Most High God. <laughs> The reason he threw them in the furnace in the first place because they were servants of the Most High God. He said, come out, please. So, you know, you talk about a change in attitude. You couldn't tell it was the same king. But that usually happens when someone has an encounter with God. You know anybody needs an encounter with God? Don't look at him right now. Are you praying for him? Because I'm telling you, the only thing that will change some people is an encounter with God. A face-to-face -face with God. Hallelujah. You pray for him to have that encounter. And then you leave it alone. Because it might look like it's bad for them. But they're never going to have that fourth man encounter until they get in the furnace. Amen? So don't bail them out when it looks like it ain't going right for them. That's God getting them in the furnace. Hallelujah. Uh, but anyway, they come out of the fire and didn't have a hair on their head singed. Their clothes showed no sign of burn, and they didn't even smell like smoke. In other words, the power had no, or the fire had no power over them whatsoever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you know, we do everything that we can to avoid the fire. We do anything we can to weasel out of that test and trial uh, to go around that mountain. We do anything that we can to keep ourselves out of the fire. We don't want to go through it. And sometimes we even wonder why certain things happen to us. I did myself, but I'm telling you this now. God don't cause these things. God ain't the one that throws you in the fire. If he threw you in the fire, he won't show up in there to get you out. Amen? But you know what? You'll experience things and learn things in the fire that you will never learn anywhere else. Things that you will never experience anywhere else. There's only certain things that you can experience and uh, learn about in the fire. And, and you can only learn about them in the fire. If you never get in the fire... You will never have a fourth man experience. You will never have a close encounter of the Jesus kind. Amen. Most of the times it comes in times of trial, in times of test. When you're on the bottom, the only place you can do, the only place you have to look up and look at is up. Amen? I'll get it right here in a minute. Sometimes we have to get in the furnace before we see the things we need to see. Hallelujah. God didn't put them in the furnace. He won't put you in the furnace. 
because he'll use it. Hallelujah. So if they never went in the furnace, they'd have never had the fourth man experience, they'd have never experienced God's delivering and healing power. God said in Psalms 107 and 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Their destruction was in that furnace. God delivered them from it. And you know what? The three Hebrew boys came out, but Jesus didn't. One guy, one, one minister said that Jesus stayed in the fire, so when you get your butt thrown in there, he'll already be there. <laughs> I don't necessarily believe that, but it's cute. But God said in uh, Isaiah 43 and 2, when you passeth through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. There's a good confession for you right there. You can just confess that passage of scripture right there and save yourself a lot of trouble. But you got to believe it. It's got to be a revelation for you. See, them boys went in the furnace with the confession that came out with a testimony. Hallelujah. They had an experience. Now they got something they can really testify about. But you can always testify about the word. But when you experience the word for yourself, now you got a testimony. But if you don't ever have the test, then all you got is a moaning. You got to have the test to have a testimony. Hallelujah. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It was their word and their confession that gave them the victory and the testimony. So we better be testifying and confessing the word, especially when you're about to be thrust into the fire. You better go in there with your mouth open, confessing the word. Don't let the devil shut your mouth. He'll try to shut your mouth. He wants to shut your mouth because he knows the power in that confession. And when the devil talks trash to you, you talk trash right back to him. You say, you want me to mention that name? Do you want me? To? And, and don't get me started on the blood. That devil be gone. Amen. Little David's another good example of someone who knew how to apply the blood and uh, his testimony, confession. He knew how to testify in the face of the devil. And I want you to notice something about a faith-filled believer. There's no fear in him. There is no fear in him. He faces his giants. He faces his furnaces. He faces his tests and trial with boldness and no fear. No fear, because fear will paralyze your faith. You can't have both. It's got to be one or the other. You might start out in fear, but you better end in faith, because fear will give the uh, devil the victory like faith will give you the victory. So the Philistines and the Israelite armies are faced off against each other, each on one side of the Valley of Eli, Eli one on one side, one on the other side. And this big bully by the name of Goliath would come out twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. For 40 days he did this, and he would trash talk Israel. And he'd strut out in front of the Israelite army, and he'd taunt them from across the valley. 
he challenged him and said, choose one man to come down here and fight me. And if I defeat him, you will be our slaves. And if he defeats me, we will be your slaves. Well, he's a lying devil anyway. That wasn't going to happen if he got defeated. And, and we know that by the story. Hindsight is 2020. But he do that twice a day. And when the Israelite army heard this, the Bible says they were terrified and ran in fear. That's not faith. That's not God's army. And then one day, David shows up with some bread and cheese that his father sent to his brothers. He had three brothers in the, in the army. And while David is there talking to his brothers and reminiscing or whatever, Goliath came out from the ranks just like he did every day. And he started trash-talking Israel, and David heard him. Little David, 17-, 18-year-old, scrawny. The Bible described him as, as a ruddy boy. But as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fear, just like they did every day. And David couldn't believe his eyes. Say, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. Where are you going? Where, come here, come here, come here. Talk to me a minute. Where are you going? Why are you running from this pagan dog? Why are you afraid of this pagan dog? How come somebody hadn't killed him yet? David couldn't understand this. He's just a little old shepherd boy. So right on time, the devil starts trash-talking David, but through his oldest brother, Eliab. And he tries to intimidate him. And that's what the devil does. He tried, you start a confession, the devil, devil will try to intimidate you. And he'll try to tell you all the reasons why it won't work and all the reasons why you can't do it and everything else. And so uh, his brother says to him, what are you doing around here anyway? He said, what about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? In other words, he's demeaning him. He's intimidating him and saying, you're just a lowly little shepherd boy. All you do is watch a few sheep. But anyway, King Saul finds out what David said. I guess he went through the camp and got to King Saul. So he sends for David. And he goes in before King Saul and David says, don't worry about this Philistine. He says, I'll go fight him. And again, the devil speaks, but this time through Saul. And he tries to plant a negative thought in David's head. He says, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's a, he's a man, and a man of war from his youth. You can't beat him. But David don't listen to that trash. He begins to testify to the king. He told the king how he killed a lion and a bear, how a lion and a bear snatched a sheep, I'm sure, at different times. And he ran that lion down with a club. And he ran that bear down with a club and snatched that lamb back out of the lion and the bear's mouth. He told Saul that. He testified of his previous victories, in other words. So anyway, he said, and I'll do the same thing to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. He didn't defy you, Saul. He didn't defy me. He defied the armies of God. 
So Saul finally consents, and David picked up five smooth stones from a stream, puts them in a shepherd's bag. One preacher said he, he got five stones because he knew Goliath had four brothers. That may be true. I don't know. I know Goliath had brothers because the Bible even tells you where they lived. But I don't know if that's why David got the five stones. But David was a man of faith. I don't think that he needed four stones as a backup. He knew that first stone was going to do the job. Amen? But anyway, it's just food for thought. But anyway, David, armed with only his little shepherd's staff and his sling, he starts heading across the valley to fight Goliath. And when Goliath saw him, he really got infuriated because David was just, like I said, a ruddy youth. Probably had little skinny legs and skinny arms. And he was insulted that David thought that he could even meet with him with a stick in his hand. And, and, and a sling, of course. But you know, God has used stranger weapons than that. You know what I'm talking about, the jawbone of the donkey? Killed a thousand Philistines with that. So Goliath is mad now. He roars at David. Am I a dog that you come out, come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. And David's like, what? Did he just curse my God? Oh, no, he didn't. He better not have. And, and you know, I want to go back to this making Goliath angry. Uh, you know, anybody went through military training or karate classes or martial arts or something like that, one of the things they learn is to control their mind and their emotions. Uh, but they're taught to make their opponent angry because you don't think rationally when you're angry. You do stupid things when you're angry. And so that's their job. That's why you see these pre-fight interviews and they're in each other's faces and they're woofing and they want to watch somebody push somebody or throw a punch, you know. And, and, and all they're doing is trying to defeat their opponent before they even get in the ring. Because if they get in your head, they're going to take advantage of you. And so this is what happened to uh, Goliath. I don't think David intended that. I mean, he just went, went out there with his little sling and his stick. But it made him so mad that Goliath couldn't even think. Goliath had a shield and a shield bearer. Why didn't that shield bearer block that stone? Mm -hmm. Goliath didn't, didn't call on him. He didn't think he needed him. So Goliath says, come over here. And I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. But David didn't let him talk to trash talk him like he like they did, like Israel did. He said, yeah, I got a stick, but that ain't what you should be concerned with. That ain't what you should be worried about. Goliath didn't realize it, but the battle is no longer between him and David, but it's between his gods and David's God now. Goliath calls that, he called on his gods. So David says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. Yes. Now, I don't know if you realize or not, but God calls himself by some 85 different names, and uh, they're all covenant names. Uh, and that's in the Old Testament alone. In Genesis, for example, when he created the heavens and the earth, 
and all the living things. He calls himself Jehovah Elohim, the God of creation. That was his creative name. And to Abraham, he called himself Jehovah Jireh, the God, the God who sees the need in advance and provides it. And he provided a bull or a lamb for Abraham. To Israel in the desert, he called himself Jehovah Rapha in Exodus 15, 26, the Lord that healeth thee, the Lord your physician. And when Israel felt alone, he called himself Jehovah Shammah. It means the ever-present one. In other words, God calls himself by a name that would fit our circumstances and situations. And he's got plenty of them. Like I said, the Old Testament alone, 85 names. And, like, and, and their covenant names, like Jehovah Rapha, that's a covenant name. He made a covenant with Israel. As long as they obeyed his commandments, he would be the Lord that healeth them. That was a covenant. And if Israel obeyed his commandments, God was their healer. And if you didn't get healed, it was because you weren't obeying his commandments. And that hasn't changed. Just because we went from the old to the new, that hasn't changed. A covenant God is a covenant forever. God makes a covenant, it's forever. We still have to obey his one commandment, and he becomes the Lord that heals us. The Lord that provides for us. The Lord that keeps us company. The Lord that empowers us and strengthens us. If you needed peace, you call him Jehovah Shalom, the God who gives peace. He had a name for everything that Israel needed. He has a name for everything that you need. And David said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And because it was an army against army, now David called God Jehovah Sabaoth, which means commander of the angelic armies of heaven. That's what the Lord of hosts is. David was calling on the hosts of heaven, the angelic hosts, the warriors of heaven, to help him to defeat Goliath. And Goliath made it a war between God and his gods. David called God by the name that would best fit his circumstances and needs at the time because that's part of the blood covenant. That's the power of the blood. God has a blood covenant with us, a covenant that will meet our every need. David knew how to call on that blood. He told Moses that his name was I Am. He said, I am that I am. Moses said, who should I say sent me? He says, tell him I am sent you. In other words, I'll be whatever I need to be for you, whatever time you need me to be it. Every time Israel needed God, he became what they needed. If you need healing, call on Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who healeth thee. If you need provision, call on Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. If you feel lonely, call on Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present one. If you need peace, call on Jehovah Shalom, the God who gives peace. If you need guidance, call on Jehovah Rohi, the, God, the Lord our shepherd, and he'll give you guidance. That's what a shepherd does. So God has a name to take care of any giant that comes your way. Goliath trash-talked David, but now it's David's turn. And he said, this day, 
the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of not only you, but the whole camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field. That all the earth may know. Now here's his reason for doing it. Remember I said he didn't ask God to prove himself. And God doesn't have to prove himself. But the reason David was doing this is so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Because the Philistines didn't think there was. Because every time he came out, they ran and hid. Then all this assembly, the ones that were running from you in fear, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. So David put that battle in the, in the hands of the Lord. You remember that song we used to sing in Zion? Yeah. Uh, the battle's not mine, said little David, but it's thine I claim your favor. <laughs> we used to sing that boy as an uh, uplifting song. But David used his testimony with Saul, but with Goliath, he starts confessing what he believes in his heart. Just like that woman with the issue of blood. You know, he's past testimony now. He's going to make a testimony out of Goliath, but he testified about the bear and the lion, and now he's confessing what he's going to do to Goliath. He said, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. In other words, the Lord's going to conquer you, and I'm going to be empowered by the Lord to kill you and cut off your head. And now those are words of faith because David didn't even have a sword. And if he did, if he did, it wouldn't be big enough to cut Goliath's head off. And David says, that ain't all either because after I cut your head off and give the dead bodies of you and your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. The thing that you're going through, the thing that I'm going through, the thing you're about to go through, that's not your battle. It's the Lord's. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Call on the Lord. Yeah, now, you might be the instrument to cut Goliath's head off, cut your giant's head off, but it's the Lord that's going to fight the battle. So as Goliath moves closer to attack, uh, to attack, David quickly runs out to meet him. You know, I've always said the best defense is a good offense. David ran to meet him. Now that had to take Goliath by surprise in itself. David takes one of those stones out of his bag and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so hard that it sank into his forehead. It didn't even bounce off. So David promised to cut Goliath's head off, remember? But he didn't have a sword. So David runs. Goliath's laying there on his face. David runs up to him, gets on top of him, draws his sword out, cuts his head off with his own sword. Oh, snap. That's like your mama sending you to get a squish to whip your own butt. That you talk about insult to injury. That was it right there. But let's think about it for a moment. David's probably a pretty tough little kid. Let's face it, he was no match for Goliath in the natural. I mean, that's, and that sling of his, he probably got a lot of practice with it out there in the fields watching them sheep and probably defending them sheep. And he, it probably had a lot of velocity on it when he slung it 
but I don't think it had enough velocity on itself to penetrate that. And I don't even know, he had a helmet on. I don't know if it had to go through the helmet then in, and sink itself in the forehead. But David's little skinny arm didn't have enough force to do that. That had to be an angel, one of the angelic hosts that he called upon, got a hold of that stone, guided it right in there, and increased the velocity of it so it would penetrate. And then that sword, that sword was bigger than David. I forget, it, 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 I think it gives a weight in there when it's describing Goliath's armor and stuff, but I don't think David in himself could have even lifted that sword, let alone swing it and cut Goliath's head off with it with one stroke. But he did it. Why? The angelic host. An angel probably got behind him like this. He says, here's how you do it, David. And gave him the strength to do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I'm running out of time, praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but I was having fun. I mean, I'm telling you how to slay some giants. Yes. You know, we learned how to move mountains. Now we learn how to slay some giants. Because you're going to have some giants in your life. If you follow after God, you're going to have some giants in your life. You're going to have some mountains to move. You're going to have some walled cities to fall before you. You're going to have some rivers to cross and some red seas. And you can't do it by yourself and in yourself. You've got to call on Jehovah. Hallelujah. Yes. But whatever you do, if it's a mountain, it's a giant, if it's a river, it's a wall, you better go, go at it with your mouth open, Amen. confessing and testifying the word of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, David activated the blood covenant by his confession and his recognition of God. And, and we do the same thing, but we have to do it through our confession. I mean, we already have. We, we already have the power of blood operating of the blood operating in our life, but we have to activate it with our confession. Amen. That's how you activate everything in the kingdom of God is through faith and the confession. So we don't run at our giants wondering what's going to happen. We run at our giants confessing and testifying what we know is going to happen. Yeah. Amen. You got to know that that giant is going to fall. You got to know that uh, everything's going to happen to that giant that you confess would happen to him. Because that's what David did. He didn't, he didn't run at Goliath thinking, uh, wondering what was going to happen. You know, uh, the odds are against me. Can I throw this stone hard enough? Can I, can I pull that big heavy sword out? Can I? No, he went there confessing what he was going to do to Goliath, and he did exactly that. Yeah. Even if it was beyond his little... Uh, skinny arms and skinny legs, his own natural abilities, he was relying on God because the battle was his. So he knew when he got to the place where he had to execute, because faith without works is dead, he got to the place where he had to execute, God was right there on the spot. God propelled that, uh, that rock and he gave David the strength to pull that sword out and cut the last head off. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Running our giants, confessing the power and the blood, and our testimony. Now, if you get to be as old as me, you got a few testimonies. If you don't have any testimonies, you had a pretty good life, then let me tell you. But just stop and think about it a minute. You can think of some past victories. You got a testimony, amen? Well, you had the blood to that, and you have an explosive force with God, amen? Hallelujah. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you and praise you. We give you glory and honor. Thank you, Father, for the word. Thank you, Lord, that we are like little David. We are giant slayers. Giants come into our life, Lord. We slay them. We don't run from them. We don't get in fear about them. We slay them. But we slay them with you, Lord. We, we get into the blood covenant with you and we confess what we're going to do to that devil through you. And, and we confess that the battle is yours and not ours. And we defeat our enemy. We move our mountains with confession and faith, Lord. And that's how everything in the kingdom of God works. So we pray for that revelation, Lord. The spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of you and all the things that concern you, Lord. How the kingdom operates. So we thank you for that in advance. Give you glory and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Miss Karen, you just come through the fire. I, I, I'm looking from here, but I don't see any evidence of fire on you. I don't smell any fire on you. And you just went through the fire. Was the fourth man in there? Oh, yes. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.